This Christmas season, we will be focused on the arrival, on the arrival of Jesus as a baby, as we do every Christmas, but we're also going to be taking a look at his second coming during this season with this Advent season. And I want to just say welcome this morning. Thank you guys for being here. Those of you who are here in the house, thank you so much. For those of you who are watching and listening online, thank you so much for joining in and being a part this morning. We do kick off this brand new series called The Arrival. And, and when I say the word Advent, uh, you probably have different ideas in mind of maybe what that means. We all maybe have a different background, different church background, different religious background. And some of you, when I say the word Advent, you think of uh, a period of time uh, during the Christmas season where we light four different candles and we kind of come around four different words each week. And we focus on the arrival of Jesus as a baby. And if you think that, and if that's what your background is, uh, you would be right. That is true. But I believe that sometimes what gets lost in our expecting Jesus to come as a baby and our focus on that during the Christmas season is the other part of Advent, and that is, is expecting his second coming, his return as king. And there is, in fact, so much hope that we can have, even in the midst of the worst circumstances, there's so much hope, as we just sang about, living hope that we can have in the person of Jesus Christ and expecting him to come again one day. Hey, I just want to say Merry Christmas. Thank you all for being here. Thanks for joining in and watching. And today we do kick off this series. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, who wrote this. He said, the celebration of Advent is possible... Only to those, I want you to hear this, who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. And it's that phrase to look forward to something greater to come that's going to be our focus over the next four weeks as we do come around this Advent season, glancing back at the first coming of the Messiah, but also looking forward to his second coming, his return. And we're going to be talking about these four words. We're going to be talking about hope today and focusing our time on how we can have that living hope as we just talked about. But I got to be honest with you, if you think about the first coming of Jesus and you think about God's people, if you think about the Jews at the end of the Old Testament, you don't really think about people who had a lot of reason to be hopeful. The time in between the Old Testament and the New Testament is not something that we in the Protestant church focus much on. Uh, we don't put a lot of emphasis in what happened in between the Testaments. But there were some key things that took place around the world that affected God's people, the Jewish people, in radical ways. In fact, when we kind of leave them at the end of the Old Testament in Malachi, in that book of Malachi, um, they are essentially a subject of Persia. And of course, Nehemiah has rebuilt the wall and Jerusalem is being rebuilt, but they are still subject to Persia. And there are a few things that happen in that period of time, that 400 years that existed between the Testaments. And we don't know all that happened, but we do know one thing that happened, and that is the world's nations, the world's people were fighting for power. They were fighting for influence. 
at the time that we leave the Jewish people off in the Old Testament, Persia is the, uh, the great power. It's the, uh, the nation, the group of people, the Persians are the ones that are in control and they're powerful. And along come uh, different groups of people. Uh, along come the Greeks and then the Macedonians and then the Greeks again. And then the Greeks had a civil war and it broke into two different Greek nations. And uh, all of a sudden we have the rise of this new group of people, this new power that's on the scene. And you probably know what that nation is. It's Rome and the Roman Empire. And we see the rise of the Roman Empire, but what happens during those 400 years is important for us to understand so that we can truly understand why Jesus came and the context into which he came into the world. During those 400 years, the, the Jewish people had been displaced during the Persians. They had taken groups of people out of Jerusalem, out of Judea, and sent them all around the world to try to, to kind of uh, you know, take away their potential power. So they split them up and moved them from place to place. Jewish culture had been and began to be marginalized by the rise of this man by the name of Alexander the Great. And his influence on that part of the world and the Jewish people was huge. In fact, that's when the, the, the Greek language became something uh, that was uh, you know, made, made known in the world and it began to spread. Greek culture began to overtake Jewish culture. And it was during the period of time when the Greek nation was split into two that one of the kings of the northern part of the Greek empire came in and essentially secularized everything about how the Jewish people worshipped. He came in and he took everything that they knew to be true about what they believed in God and he tried to twist it and to secularize it. In fact, there were during that period of time, most experts believe about 40,000 Jewish people who were killed during that time. The way that they worshipped, the way that they lived, the way that they existed had been secularized by Greece and the Greek nation. And most notably, it was during this time that the position that God had established of high priest and all the priests uh, among God's people who were spiritual leaders became a political position. It became a political position. And so as we got closer and closer to the time of Jesus, there became this gap uh, uh, between those who were religious and who were fighting to, to have their, their religion brought back and the tradition that they, that they once had in, in their belief and their, uh, their trust in, in God um, taken away. They were fighting to get that back. And there was this growing gap between religious people and those who were secular. And so you had this power struggle that existed in that Greek world and it even transitioned into the Roman world and the position of the high priest became a, an appointed position by the Roman emperor. And so you can see that during these 400 years, there were so many things that happened around the world, this, this power grab by different nations. And Rome was incredibly fearful that God's people, the Jewish people, would rise up and, and want to take over their part of the world. And Rome controlled that. And part of 
Rome controlling that was ensuring that they knew how many people who lived in the Roman Empire. And so right out of the gates, in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus comes onto the scene, we see and we hear that Caesar Augustus performs a census. And that census was performed to find out how many Jewish people were there. The, the very act of that census that we read about in Luke chapter 2 is something that is meant to put the Jewish people in fear of the Roman Empire. Two different religious groups who were vying to, to have that, to really struggling and fighting to have the tradition, the old tradition of, of their Jewish worship in God uh, come back, began to fight themselves. And we know them today as the Sadducees and the Pharisees, probably two of the groups of people that Jesus came out against most of all because they had so, um, they had so uh, fought for what they believed in that they became isolated from the rest of the world. And they became righteous and self-righteous, righteous to a point of it being sin. And so God's people, when Jesus came on to the scene, were in great despair. They were in great despair. And you can understand why God's people during this period of time wanted a king. You can understand why they would have wanted someone who would come in and save them from all of these nations vying for power. They wanted someone who would rule with strength and with authority. And they so desired a king. In their despair, they thought that they knew what they needed. And God knew better. He wasn't going to send a king. He was going to send a human. All man, yet all God, to come and save the world. Because God knew that their greatest need wasn't power. He knew that their greatest need wasn't organization. He knew that their greatest need wasn't an absence of conflict. We'll be talking about that next week. He knew that their greatest need was redemption. And he knew that a king ruling with power wouldn't redeem them. He would just be more oppressive. And so God, in his wisdom, in his divine nature sent Jesus into the world. It's interesting when we think about the, the world during that day and the position that uh, Jews were in during that period of time, the Jewish people, God's people, were in during that time with the threat of nations around the world coming in and taking control of them, wiping out their culture, everything being secularized. It's not much different than what we face today, is it? It's not much different than what we face today. Yeah, maybe they didn't have a pandemic yet at that time. But my goodness, they were facing some of the very things that we face today. Their culture was being ripped apart. Their power was being taken away. Any control that they thought they had, they didn't have. And God, in his wisdom, sent hope in a remarkable way. Luke 2, verse 7 and 10 through 14 gives us a story of God sending Jesus into this world. And she, verse 7 says, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And the angel in verse 10 says to them, Fear not. 
fear not. I want you to think about the announcement of the angel of fear not into a world that was full of fear and despair. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be, I want you to say that next word, for who? For all people. For all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a, a, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And with that announcement of peace... With the entrance of God's son, Jesus, who was the Messiah, who was the one who would redeem mankind, all of a sudden into this world of chaos, into this world of despair, entered hope. Entered hope. Not a hope that would take them out of the political situation that they were in. Not the kind of hope that would remove them from the trouble of the world. Jesus promised that. And if you read about the coming of Christ as we get closer and closer and closer in, this, in the next uh, coming, there's going to be more and more trouble. But God brought Jesus to bring a spiritual hope to his people. See, Jesus arrived as a child to bring redemptive hope to the world. God knew that the greatest need of mankind was this problem that we had with sin. Was this problem that we had with sin that our sin that because of our sin because of the faults and the failures that we have because of the spiritual poverty that Bonhoeffer talked about that we have that we were separated from God and he sent Jesus into this world as a simple ordinary man. Because he understood the great spiritual need. Listen, I want you to know that today in our world, the greatest need that we have is not a solution to coronavirus, to COVID-19. It's not a political leader or party or solution to the politics and the problems that we have. It's not the things that we see that are on the surface, which are important to our way of life. But I got to tell you, the greatest need that we still have today is the fact that our sin separates us from God. And that without Jesus, the Messiah, we have no hope. So Jesus arrived as a child to bring redemptive hope to the world. And during this series, we're going to be taking a glance back, and then we're going to be taking a look forward at his return. Throughout this series, we're going to talk about kind of key prophecies that we see in the Old Testament that predict and, and kind of uh, tell us and prophesy what is going to happen in his first coming as a child, but also his second coming when he returns one day. It's a glance, for, it's a glance back and a look forward you remember when you were learning how to drive? 
my, my kids uh, just recently over these past few years have been learning how to drive. Uh, Sydney's back, back here. She, she's an amazing driver. My son is uh, 13 and he's getting ready to learn how to drive. Do you remember when you learned how to drive? And you had the rearview mirror, and you had to learn what it was like to look in the rearview mirror. That was scary, because for a moment, you're driving down the road, and you take your eyes off the road, and you glance at the rearview mirror. And I don't know if you've ever been driving with someone who's learning how to drive, but this can be a tricky thing to look back or to look at the side view mirrors and to take a glance to figure out what you're doing. I remember driving, this is when Cynthia and I uh, first met, and we were uh, in South Florida with her family, and we were driving with her sister, Christy, who may be watching today, so I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for giving this illustration. And I remember she was driving the van, and this is how she glanced back in the side view mirrors, like that. Like that right there. And so that's something that I think we all probably did a few times. Probably scared our parents. Whoever was teaching us how to drive to death for a moment gave, a, gave them a wake-up call. And uh, it was a glance back. And that glance back at what God was doing spiritually in, in the redemptive history of the world gives us a picture for what he's going to do again one day. It sets the stage, if you will, for his return. His birth is important. Christmas is important. It was the beginning of bringing hope into a, a divided world full of despair. But it also sets the stage for a second coming. And sometimes spiritually we must glance back in the rearview mirror to see what's coming. To help us understand what's coming. You see, when we see what God has done in the past, it gives us hope to believe in what he will do in the future. When we see what God has done in the past, it gives us a hope to believe in what he's going to do in the future. It's a glance back at what he's done in the past. And we find in Daniel chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We find in Daniel chapter 9, I believe one of the, the anchor prophecies in all of the Old Testament that gives us an understanding of what it means to glance back and to look forward, to look with hope at what happened when he brought hope into the world, and to look forward to the future hope regardless of what's going on here on this earth. And so Daniel chapter 9, I want to read verses 24 through 26. He says this, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Now, now this next one, verse 25, I really want you to see. Check this out. He says this, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the world to restore and to build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. 
After the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Now, Daniel packs a punch with these verses. I mean, it's massive what he's predicting here, what he's prophesying here. And I know some of you have studied Old Testament prophecy, and you're into that sort of thing. And today and throughout this series, you're like, all right, this is going to be great, man. Todd's going to have charts, and he's going to have pictures, and there's going to be all kind of crazy stuff. And it's going to be awesome. And some of you are like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear all this stuff. Well, my job as your pastor is not to show you all the detail of the timing in the charts. I want to encourage you to do that for yourself. I want to encourage you to find studies where you can study that. But my job in this series is to answer the question, what do we do while we wait? What is our job while we wait for the return of Jesus? And when we think about hope and we think about peace, and we think about some of these words we're going to discuss over these next few weeks, I think that we have a picture of what Christians, what Christ followers are to do while we wait for his return. But there's some important things about this prophecy right here that Daniel gives us, and we see it most notably in verse 25 when he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the world to restore... And build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince there shall be seven weeks. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details, but the prophet Daniel here foretold two major events that sets the stage for the first and the second coming of Jesus, which is just incredible to think about. The first thing that he does is he sets the stage by prophesying about the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And the rebuilding of Jerusalem is the first event that he talks about. And he says there that there's going to be a decree, that there's going to be uh, a decree, that there's going to be a rebuilding, a restoring and rebuilding of Jerusalem. Now, here's what happened. That prophecy was given uh, around 600 or so B.C. Well, uh, just uh, about 150 years later, Nehemiah comes onto the scene. And check out Nehemiah. I love this. Chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine. I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been uh, sad in his presence. And it goes on to describe how King Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah the orders to rebuild Jerusalem. It was the fulfillment of the prophecy that Daniel had given earlier, that he had given 150 years earlier. And so we see that that happens. And the rebuilding of Jerusalem is an amazing thing because it's the beginning of the Jewish people's return to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah was such an amazing leader and through extremely difficult circumstances he takes the decree from King Artaxerxes and not only does King Artaxerxes give him the decree but he also takes that decree and he adds to it and he gives him uh, people who would travel with Nehemiah to protect him and so Nehemiah begins to build the walls of Jerusalem and brings that to a completion and fulfills the prophecy that first prophecy of Daniel chapter 9 verse 25 
But in Daniel 9.25, he also says that there would be a rebuilding of Jerusalem, but there would be an, the coming of the anointed one, a prince. And he gives the timeline from the time that the walls of Jerusalem, the decree would be made, to the time that the prince would come into Jerusalem. And scholars who know a lot more than I about the language that's used here have taken what we know about the language and they've added up the days that would be needed and the total number of days from the time that the decree was given to the, for the rebuilding of Jerusalem to the time that the prince would come in added up to 173,880 days. And here's what happened. 1,173,880 1, days after King Artaxerxes gave his decree for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. We see it in Matthew 21, 7 through 9. It's after Jesus was born. And it's when he's riding into Jerusalem. Check this out. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. That was Palm Sunday. It's what we celebrate Palm Sunday for now. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches. Verse 9, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And in their announcement right there, found in Matthew chapter 21, they're announcing that a prince has come in to Jerusalem. To the day, to the exact day that Daniel, the one that God inspired as a prophet to predict the rebuilding of Jerusalem, to predict and to prophesy about the coming of the Messiah into Jerusalem, Got it right. Listen, church, listen. To the day. To the exact day. And if that fact alone doesn't give you hope that God is in control, I don't know what does. There's no way that this could have been manufactured. There's no way that the story could have been made up. There are uh, non-biblical verifications of all of this. The timing the time when Jesus came in. And so Daniel's prediction was absolutely right. His prophecy perfectly fulfilled Jesus' first coming into Jerusalem. But what about today? What about today? You see, sometimes we think about prophecy of the future about the second coming of Jesus the return of Jesus Christ into this world we think about everything looking forward and we forget that there's so much looking back the beginning of the second coming the beginning of the end times the beginning of the arrival of Jesus into our world of despair began with King Artaxerxes announcement that Jerusalem would be rebuilt and there's a lot that's behind us. There are a lot of these prophecies that are behind us, but there are some more to come. There are some that are to come, and Daniel continues to talk about that in those next verses. We're going to be taking a look at that next week. But wouldn't you agree that we need relief from the despair of our world? Just like the Jewish people needed relief 
from the despair of their world then. It's similar, isn't it? They felt hollow, small, insignificant. They felt controlled. They were subjects of different powers all through the years. Government intervention in their life kept them in fear for their lives. That's why the fear not verse is so incredibly important, announcing Jesus is coming in to the world. So today, here we are with our situation and our trouble and our despair. We need to understand that Jesus is coming one day in the future. He's coming again, and he's coming this time as king to rule and to reign and to bring us out of the despair. Acts chapter 1, 9 through 11 says this, And when he had said these things, Jesus, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. That must have been scary for his disciples, as if nothing else was scary enough at this point. And he said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This is Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven. He will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Hope for the return of Jesus one day in power and in might and with strength. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting, listen, waiting, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And here's the point that I want to make today is that Jesus will return as king to bring the final hope into our world. He will one day return as king to bring the final hope into our world. But the question remains, what do we do while we wait? What do we do while we wait? Well, it says there that Jesus trains us in renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright. And so while we wait, yes, we pursue Jesus and we pursue righteousness. But I want you to hear today, church, whether you're watching or listening online or whether you're here in the house today, that our job as people is to trust in him to be our living hope. And the problem with the church today is that we announce to the world that we put our trust in so many other things and not the one who is our living hope. Not the one who's coming again to rule and to reign and to bring resolution to all of this. We look toward the second coming of Jesus, not from a place of fear, but from a place of expectation that he is the one who resolves it all. 
He's the one who finishes it all. He's the one that we can have hope. And so what do we do while we wait? If you're here today or you're watching online, you can have hope. It's the first word of this Advent season. It's the first thing we've sang about it this morning. We focus on it on the Advent devotional. You'll hear more about that at the end of this message. We're focused on it here today, but you can have hope. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, and I want to invite you to not let these days go by without making the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is, is to put your hope in Jesus. What do we do while we wait? If we're Christ followers, we need to be people who spread the hope of Jesus. We need to be the ones who are talking about the fact that Jesus can bring resolution to everything. The world sees us as people who are shouting fear. The world sees us as people who seem hopeless. And that's the last thing that the world needs to see from us, church. They need to see that our confidence, listen, is solidly in the one who one day is going to resolve it all. And I realize that so many of you are fearful because of what's going on in the world. That is a normal human reaction. I've been there over these past months. I've been there in years past. I've been there in decades before. But we as Christ followers need to get on our knees and we need to ask the one who brought hope into this world for redemption to give us hope and to allow us to stand strong without fear, knowing that he's coming again and that he is going to reign as king. You'll hear more about that in the weeks to come. He is the one that our hope should be in. Nothing else, nothing, nothing, nothing else but Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us who may, because of the circumstances of the day, because of the situation that we find ourselves in in our personal lives, in the global situation, in a pandemic that seems to be continuing and getting worse week after week and month after month, in a world that politically is in crisis, who we can't find, it seems, anyone, anyone who we can put our trust in, and that's exactly right. Because our job, while we wait as Christ followers, is to have our hope in you. Father, help us to do that. Help us to do that when fear begins to creep in, Help us to do that when worry sets its roots in our lives. Help us to do that when hope is the furthest thing from our, our mind and our heart and our emotions. Help us to realize the world needs to see that we know that in the end, you win. That in the end, you're going to bring resolution to all of the problems of this world. 
Father, for those who haven't put their faith in you, who haven't put their hope in you, God, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. If you're listening, watching, or even in this room, and you've never put your hope in Jesus to be your Savior, please don't let another moment go by without answering him without giving your life to him, without putting your hope in the one who came to redeem you from your sins, to restore you to God. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. And today I want to give you the opportunity to do that. If you've never put your hope in Jesus as your Savior, just in the quietness of this room, those of you who are watching, you're listening online, if you've never done that, I want to give you the chance right now to do that today. I'm going to pray a prayer. It's really short. And I want you to personalize it if you've never put your hope in Jesus, never put your faith in him for eternity. You can just say it to God silently wherever you are right now. You don't even have to close your eyes. It's a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you for sending Jesus into the world that is in such great despair. Thank you for giving me the hope of forgiveness of sin. Thank you for giving me the hope for eternity with you. And right now, I admit that I'm a sinner and that sin keeps me from you. But right now, I place my hope for eternity in you, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer right now in this room, I'm just gonna ask you to quietly, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just to raise your hand so I can pray for you. I won't call you up or embarrass you. I just wanna pray for you. And if you prayed that while you're at home, watching online, or maybe some other time, a week later or days later, I want to encourage you to reach out to us. If you're watching live, go ahead and let us know about that in the comments section. You can direct message us online, or you can go to our website. You can go to our website and find our email, info at hiltonheadislandcc.org. Let us know of your decision. And Father, I thank you for those who may have put their hope in you for eternity today. God, we thank you that this Advent season, we get to celebrate the hope for redemption that you brought by coming into this world as a baby, but we also thank you for the hope of resolving all of the mess that we find ourselves in. God, we place our hope in you for the future. Help us to do that with strength and courage in the days to come. In Jesus' name, I pray.